Hi, I'm Pastor Colin Smith, Senior Pastor of The Orchard. We're a church that loves the Bible, and this podcast features sermons from pastors at each of our six locations. Our prayer is that these messages will help root you in the Word of God, nourish you in the Gospel of Christ, and help you to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Here's today's message. Well, our Easter passage today comes from Matthew chapter 27, and we'll be looking at Matthew's accounts of the resurrection. But between the time of Christ's death and resurrection, Matthew describes several events that take place. First, you may wonder why Matthew includes these events. But as we go through the Easter story together, My hope is that you'll see the joy of Christ's resurrection because the resurrection is the ultimate source of joy for this world and for you. There's so much more. There's so much in our world that's sad and painful and hard. And each day brings new struggles. Do you feel struggles? And hardships keep coming, hardly giving us any time to breathe. But if you truly understand the resurrection, you can find hope. You can find peace. You can find joy. So this morning, we'll look at four events leading up to the resurrection and how you can experience joy in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me set the story up for you as we begin. So Jesus is on the cross the final moments of his life, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then he yields up his spirit, and now he's dead. And this leads us to the first event, the concern of the faithful woman. The concern of the faithful woman. Let's take a look at verse 55. There were also many women there looking on from a distance, This is chapter 27, verse 55. Who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Jesus casted out seven demons from Mary Magdalene, and she followed Jesus, and she gave to Jesus' ministry out of her own resources. There's not that much information on the other two women, but we know that they were normal believers. We know that they supported Jesus' ministry. So Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee, they were looking on from a distance. Looking on from a distance as Jesus was hanging on the cross. Can you imagine the looks they got as they stood looking to Christ? Christ's followers were being persecuted. They were being gossiped about. And here are these women looking at Jesus. Look at these women. Didn't they follow Jesus? Look at their master now. But why are they standing around, risking becoming the gossip of the town? What more could they do? Their master is dead. There's nothing more they could do. Why are they standing around? These Women followed Jesus, and they ministered to him. 
and they couldn't bear to just leave Jesus on the cross. They wanted to give him a proper burial. Can you feel their desperation? Their master is hanging on the cross, and they want to take him off. But they have to go to Pilate. They have to ask for his body. How can they do that? Pilate's the governor. They have no power. And after taking him down, where would they put him? They have no tomb. So they stand there just looking, desperate, helpless. When someone you love dies, a burial and funeral can offer some closure. And in the ancient world, mourning the dead was a natural part of the grieving process. Unfortunately, mourning wasn't permitted for criminals executed on the cross. And so they just stand there helpless. Their hearts are aching. They saw Jesus crying out on the cross. They saw him give his last breath. They saw the soldiers stab his side. And all that the woman can do now is just watch with heavy hearts, like a sword piercing their souls. You know, one of the most painful things you will ever experience in this world is watching a loved one die. It's especially difficult when you see them experience pain in the final moments of their life. And this event reminds us of the heartache, the sorrow, and the reality of death. And here these women felt the pain of death. They couldn't comfort their Lord on the cross. They can't even get him down. They can't even give him a proper burial. But not wanting to leave his dead body, these women stay with Jesus, wanting to minister to the Lord to the very end. So we see here the concern of these faithful women. Then when we get to verse 57, Matthew describes the second event following Christ's death. We see here Joseph of Arimathea. Let's look at verse 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in a rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Verse 61. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Wow. These women were concerned about Jesus. Can you imagine the sigh of relief that came over them as they see Joseph coming to bury the body of their master. Now, Matthew tells us that Joseph was a rich man. And the Gospel of Mark and Luke tell us that Joseph was also a member of the ruling council. Joseph was a member of the ruling council that condemned Jesus to die. But when they voted to kill Jesus... When the Sanhedrin voted to kill Jesus, Luke tells us that Joseph didn't consent. It wasn't a unanimous vote. Jesus had followers in the council. And because of Joseph's political power, he's able to speak to Pilate, and he gets Jesus' body. 
And because he was a rich man, he also had a tomb near the city. Tombs near the city were very expensive. You couldn't just buy a tomb or cut a tomb near the city. But with the means that he had, he owns a tomb. And Joseph wraps Jesus' body and he lays him in his own new tomb. Because of Joseph, Jesus didn't have to stay hanging on the cross. Jesus didn't have to be thrown into a garbage pile of bodies. Jesus could have a proper burial. And these women's prayers were answered. These women's prayers were answered. I want you to see here, when you don't know what to do, when you don't know what to do, you'll find the Lord sends an unexpected answer to your prayer. There are many examples in the Bible where God provides in unexpected ways. And Joseph was an answer to prayer. In fact, this was a part of God's plan from all along. Let me read for you Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. Isaiah 53, verse 9 says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. The providence of God in answering prayer. When you think everything's dark, and there's no sign of goodness. When it looks like everyone has abandoned the cause and no one is left. Remember, there's always, always something good happening. And God will answer in ways that you never expected. Not only is Joseph an answer to prayer, but he's also a sign of hope for those who are lost. He's a sign of hope for those who are lost, for sinners. Think about this. As the priests and elders bring up false charges, they manipulate the people and crucify Jesus. You can't help but wonder, If there could be hope for even them, could Jesus save even someone as evil as these priests? I mean, how could these men be so evil, just out of envy, killing an innocent man? But Joseph shows us there's hope. There's hope even for the worst enemies of God. For those who in our eyes might never come to Christ, God can save. God can save. Jesus tells us it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But you know what? God can needle a camel. And Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, a member of the ruling council that wanted to kill Jesus, he became a disciple of Jesus Christ. The council ruled to kill, but risking his own power, he said, no, I will not take any part in this. This is from Luke. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. And when Jesus needed to be buried, he gave his tomb. And risking his reputation, he, mar- he buried Jesus Christ. The third event begun, begins on Saturday after the burial of Jesus. The Pharisees heard Jesus say he would rise on the third day. So they're nervous. So they go to Pilate. 
They ask for a guard to watch over the tomb. They go to Pilate and say, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away. We need guards, they say. The disciples might steal him. Can you feel the nervousness in their voice? I mean, they saw Jesus rise from the dead. So the thought probably crossed their mind. What if he really does rise from the dead? After asking for the guards, listen to what Pilate says. You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Pilate says, listen, I'm done with you guys. You have your own guard. I'm not giving you Roman guards. I'm not giving you my guards. You just take your temple guards. And so these Jewish leaders, they're so concerned. They break the Sabbath. Remember, this is Saturday. It's the Sabbath. They break their own Sabbath law. They go to Pilate. They don't get the Roman soldiers they want, the best of the best. And so they use their own guards to watch over the tomb. The book of Romans tells us that sinners suppress the truth. And that's what the Pharisees had to keep doing. Instead of believing the truth, they keep suppressing the truth. Instead of seeking Christ and asking, could Christ truly be the Son of God? They kept saying, Christ can't be the Son of God. It's ironic, isn't it? They said Jesus was an uneducated, low life from Nazareth with no credibility as a teacher And even in his death, they're afraid of him. Even in his death, they're afraid of him. They accused Jesus Christ of breaking the Sabbath. But because they're worried that his body might disappear, or worse yet, that Christ might actually rise from the dead, they break their precious Sabbath laws. Ask Pilate for Roman guards. And unable to acquire Roman guards, they place their own temple guards at the tomb. The fourth and final event begins in chapter 28 on Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to go see the tomb early in the morning. But when they get there, there's an earthquake and they see an angel descending from heaven. It says his appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. And the temple guards, they're scared to death. They're scared to death. They tremble like dead men. This was only an angel. And these guards trembled in fear. Can you imagine what it'll be like when the Lord himself appears? But the angels, the angel tells the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. The soldiers are scared. The angel says to these women, do not be afraid. The enemies of Christ will always fear the resurrection, and they will fear his final appearing. But if you are seeking Jesus, if you are seeking Jesus, you have nothing to fear. That is the key. If you are seeking Jesus, you have nothing to fear in this life and in the life to come. Then the angel tells them, he is not here. He is risen. 
Come see the place where he lay. Now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the grave. And the Bible, the Bible tells us that they ran with fear or with awe and great joy. And as they ran to tell the disciples, Jesus appears before these women. Jesus appears before them. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This word greetings literally means rejoice. There's joy in Christ. There's joy in Christ as he sees these women and he tells them, rejoice, rejoice. And the first thing these women do is bow down. They worship their Lord. They held on to his feet, worshiping him. Jesus says, go tell my brothers and I will see them. So here we see the witness, the witness of these women. Now in these last moments, let me leave you with two ways you can apply this truth. Two ways for you to apply this truth. So what can you do? What can I do? What does this mean for me? First, hold on to your faith in the resurrection. Hold on to your faith in the resurrection. When you look at the story of the resurrection, you see Jesus strengthen the faith of his disciples. He shows the woman that he is risen. Then later, he also shows his 11 disciples that he is risen. But after seeing Jesus, we read that some of the disciples doubted. They doubted. But Jesus shows them his hands. He shows them his feet. Jesus strengthens the faith of his disciples. And this is one reason why Matthew wrote chapter 27 and chapter 28. He wrote this to strengthen your faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some people think the resurrection is a fairy tale made up by Jesus' followers. Chapter 27 and 28 prove to us that the resurrection was a true historical event. Think about this. First witnesses to see Jesus were the women. In the ancient world, women weren't given any authority. And they couldn't even testify in court. No matter how much they knew, all that they testified was null. But instead of men, the first people to see Jesus is women, are women. There's absolutely no good reason to show that it was women who first saw Jesus unless it is true. Not only that, if you're going to make up a story, you'd probably want to make sure the people didn't see the failure of your leaders. But all over chapter 27 and 28, you see the failure of the disciples. The women are at the cross. The disciples are not. Joseph buries Jesus. The disciples are gone. The women see Jesus first. And they're the ones who have to tell the other 11 disciples that Jesus has risen from the grave. The only reasonable explanation for this is that Jesus truly rose from the dead. Why would you make a fabricated story, putting women as the first witnesses, showing your own failure, failure if it wasn't true? You know, throughout history, many people have tried to deny the resurrection. 
there are many voices in our world today that are trying to deny the resurrection. And that's what the chief priests tried to do as well. Listen to what happens. The guards see Jesus risen from the grave, and they run to tell the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, what happened. Listen to what happens. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. You know, you would think you would at least investigate the resurrection. I mean, the guards, they they said, look, there was an angel. There was an earthquake. There was an empty tomb. They tell this to the chief priests. You would think they would at least investigate it. All the evidence is right before their eyes. Instead, Instead, they pay the soldiers to spread a lie. What you see here is that unbelief isn't an evidence issue. It's a moral issue. It's a heart issue. These leaders don't believe because they don't want to believe. Christian brother and sister, the empty tomb is the greatest proof available for the truth of Christianity. Nobody can or has ever refuted it. Not only that, after seeing the risen Lord, these disciples, These disciples died for the preaching of the gospel. They held on to the resurrection of Christ and they gave their lives for the gospel. There's absolutely no reason why these early disciples would die for a lie. Why die for a lie? The only reasonable explanation is that Jesus truly did rise from the grave. You know, there may be doubt in your heart today. The world tries to pull us but the Lord is speaking to you today. He's showing you that he has indeed risen from the grave. He is alive and well, and he is sitting at the right hand of God. And one day, one day, you will see him face to face. Christian brother and sister, hold on. Hold on to your faith in the resurrection. Second, live with joy in the resurrection of Christ. Live with joy in the resurrection of Christ. When the woman first came to see the risen Christ, the first word that Jesus says is greetings. I said this word means rejoice. But why does he say this? What are we to rejoice about? What are you to rejoice about? You can rejoice because you have salvation in Christ. You have salvation in Christ. Good Friday really worked. Christ took your place. He bore your punishment and canceled your sin. You don't have to live under the bondage of sin anymore. Not only that, you can rejoice because Christ defeated death. Christ defeated death. All your sickness, all your pain, All the hardships you face on this earth will soon be gone. Think about this. All the suffering you face on this earth, all the suffering you face on this earth will be the only suffering you will ever know for all of eternity. What's 80, 90 years compared to eternity? Christ has defeated death, and you have been united with Christ, you will one day rise to everlasting life. 
you have salvation. Christ has defeated death. You can rejoice thirdly because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. In other words, there's nothing that can happen to you. There's nothing that can happen to you apart from Jesus. So you can rest. You can relax. Folks, relax. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. The one who died for you, the one who took your place, the one who loves you with everlasting love, he's the one watching over you. You can rejoice. Live with joy. The resurrection of Christ because you have salvation. Christ has defeated death. All authority has been given to Jesus. So Christian, you don't have to live a defeated life. Christ has conquered. You don't have to be cynical. Good has overcome evil. You don't have to be jaded. There's a hero who will never let you down. You don't have to be overwhelmed. God is in control and he is good. You don't have to be shallow. You can live for something that will last forever. You don't have to be paralyzed by worry. It really is going to be okay. You don't have to feel stuck. New life has come. You don't have to be devastated by failure. Your salvation rests on the work of Christ. And you don't have to live in despair. But you can live in joy because Christ is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we come before you this Resurrection Sunday, and we praise you, God. We do live in a world that's sad and painful, and there are struggles. We don't deny those things as Christians, but Lord, we're reminded that we have hope, we have peace, and we have joy, true joy, because of the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us not to forget Help us to live in the joy and the power of, and the glory of the resurrection of your son. We thank you, God, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Orchard Sermon Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe, become a regular listener, and share the link with others. And if you're in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, we'd love to welcome you as our guest at one of the Orchard's six locations. For more information, go to theorchard.church. That's theorchard.church.